Hola, como esta? You're listening to Keeping It Real with Janine, your guide to living an authentic, healthy life. I'm Janine Strong, and what I'm doing during this time is taking a Spanish course, so I'm practicing. Thought I'd do something to get my brain working uh, well and grow all those new neural pathways that are so important as we get older, especially. Today I'm having what I am sure will be a thought-provoking conversation with Dr. Stephanie Sinek. There is so much conflicting information concerning the SARS-CoV-2 pandemic right now, and I thought it would be interesting to hear what Dr. Sinek's perspective is. As most of you already know, since I've had her on twice before, Dr. Sinek is a senior research scientist at the MIT Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence Laboratory. She has degrees in biophysics, electrical engineering, and computer science from MIT. In recent years, Dr. Sinef has focused her research interests on the impact of nutritional deficiencies and environmental toxins on human health, especially the role of one of the most toxic chemicals in the world, glyphosate. My previous conversations with Stephanie have been some of the most listened to, so I know you all highly regard her and want to hear from her. Hi, Stephanie. Welcome back. So great to be here. Thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. I'm I'm excited. I've I've been having such awesome conversations with people right now and I'm so excited to be connecting with just so many amazing people who really are making a difference. It really makes my day when <laughs> when things are kind of bleak and I've been finding that my life hasn't really changed that much. I think because we are all connected, right? Mm, we're we're absolutely. all one that that so many people are in distress that I, I'm feeling that, I'm picking up on that. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it makes it kind of hard to be upbeat when there's... It certainly does. Mm-hmm. I asked you, uh, <laughs> I love my emails with you because I'm always like, well, do you have anything to say right now? And of course, you came back with something that I think is very important involving the COVID-19 virus and the relationship that there might be with glyphosate. Yes, I think it's very strong. And it started to uh, tickle my brain when I sort of started seeing where the outbreaks were happening, particularly when Europe was getting on fire and particularly Lombardy and northern Italy Mm -hmm. and even Wuhan, which I knew had a pollution problem. You know, Mm. the pollution is not good, air pollution in Wuhan, and it's certainly not good in Lombardy. I mean, they're quite famous for their air pollution issues. And in fact, they have to restrict their vehicles, their diesel running vehicles on the roads at times because of the high levels of air pollution from diesel fuel. There are these nanoparticles and nitrogen oxides and things of that sort that are known to be toxic. Um, So that was a hint. And then the amazing thing was I didn't even know that something called biodiesel fuel even existed. And I don't know how many of our listeners know about that. I was surprised that I didn't know that because I knew about ethanol and I knew they were, you know, putting ethanol in the gasoline. In our country, we're a leader in that in that uh, game of diluting uh, gasoline with something like 10% ethanol at the gas tank. Uh, and the ethanol is, is a, is a bio-derived uh, fuel because it comes typically in the U.S. from corn, GMO Roundup Ready corn. Mm. And I've been worried about the ethanol, you know, because uh, I'm worried that it contains glyphosate. I, I feel pretty confident that it probably does because uh, alcohol, you know, like all these beers and wines have been testing positive for glyphosate, mm. uh, which makes me suspect that it easily gets into ethanol. I would not be at all surprised. It needs to be confirmed. Mm-hmm. But the biodiesel was sort of a, yeah, 
a ringer for me. I mean, I really didn't even know about it, to be honest with you. And I started furiously reading about it as soon as I realized uh, that biodiesel existed and that it is derived from many different sources, actually, and a growing number of sources. And it has been, you know, the whole industry has been uh, expanding over the past decade tremendously in the last few years. And, and Europe's played a leadership role in biodiesel. So what that means, biodiesel, is that you start with often food sources. And in the case of Italy, they use a lot of olive oil. Mm, okay. And yeah, and they have these um, processing plants that convert the olive oil into what they call biodiesel. And then they mix that into the fuels and that can go into the airplanes. It can go into the, um, the buses, the trucks, you know, and diesel run cars. All of those vehicles can have a, a portion of their energy of uh, their uh, diesel being biodiesel. Mm-hmm. Well, I've and seen, I know I've seen buses with, with signs or, or, you know, writing on them that say they're powered by biofuel or biodiesel. Yes, that's really interesting that you've seen that because mm-hmm. I've become aware of buses and I've started to really pay attention to buses. And I'll do a little side story just now because last night on the, we watched the PBS evening news typically in the evening. Mm-hmm. Last night they had a segment on the UK. And I don't know if you know this, but UK has now lined up as number two behind the US as the second most um, affected country. Ah, um, okay. And this is just so people know we're recording on May 6th. Though. So as of May right. 6th, we're May talking 5th, here. May 5th, um, PBS Evening News, they had a segment um, on U- on the UK and COVID-19. And in that segment, they happened to mention, they said they, they said bus drivers are, are, are getting hit hard <gasps> in, in London. Ah. And then they said a town that they mentioned happened to be next door to Heathrow Airport. You know, that mm-hmm. was a really bad outbreak in that town. They mentioned those two things. And I said to my husband, ha ha, yeah, buses, right? You know, and so he just did a little search on his phone. And sure enough, you, London has played a leadership role in putting biodiesel into their buses. So I, I'm feeling like it, it, it's working on, you know, Chelsea's another example in Boston. And, and I live in Boston and Massachusetts is the second hardest hit state in the United States next to New York City, New ah, York State. Okay. Ah, York, I thought California. No, but Massachusetts. Well, we're, we're catching up very quickly. California okay. was the leader because they came in from China, I guess, and it mm. spread earlier there. But right now, Massachusetts is doing quite bad, badly, even though we're on lockdown and whatnot. And it, within Massachusetts, there's one town that totally stands out, and that's Chelsea. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it's got almost twice as many deaths as the next worst city oh my. in Massachusetts. And um, so, of course, I was interested in Chelsea to see what was going on there. And I actually know Chelsea because we drive through there on our way to the airport. It's very close to the airport. But more than that, it's on the Mystic River, and it has these huge tanks all along. It's quite an interesting place because the tanks are all sort of mixed into residential areas and whatnot. It's a very weird-looking town. But those tanks are, are, are tanks that, that store oil. They store, uh, they store the fuel. They store all of the fuel, 100% of the fuel for the airport, Logan mm, Airport okay. in Chelsea. Mm-hmm. And they also store um, home heating oil, like 80% of the home heating oil for Boston. And so home heating oil turns out to be another interesting hint because I didn't know this either, but now they're putting biofuel into home heating oil. And in fact, New York City... Uh, passed a law a couple of years back that required a certain percentage, I think it's at least 5% of biofuel in the home heating oil that's used in anybody who, who uses oil for their heat, for the heating oil ah. in New York City. Uh-huh. Yeah, and Chelsea, you know, so I looked at Chelsea, I was looking for, I was searching the web, web for Chelsea plus biodiesel or biofuel, 
And I found this article from 2003, and I really didn't even realize that the industry existed in 2003. And the article said Chelsea was a major leader, 75%. At that time, 75% of the biofuel uh, produced in this country was produced in Chelsea. So they are, were in early and deep with the biofuel. And they have these huge tanks that store, store heating oil. You know, again, I mean, heating um, used waste uh, oil for cooking, cooking oil, waste cooking oil. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cooking oil in Chelsea. And there was an uh, accident that was reported last December of an explosion of a tank that holds huge amounts of uh, cooking oil it, it, ready to be processed into, you know, biofuels. Mm-hmm. This is a whole processing step that turns the, the, the cooking oil into fuel. But they also make biodiesel, it turns out, from lots of other sources. And the U.S. is a leader in producing biodiesel from the from the leftover uh, of the crops after you've harvested them. Because there's been an issue about, oh, you're using food, you know, for heat, uh, food for fuel. That's pretty stupid because we need the food. You know, people are pushing back on the whole concept of growing crops in order to produce fuel. So they've come up with a technology that involves harvesting the crop first and then taking all the leftovers of the crop, all the sticks, you know, and, and the stalks and all of that, and turning that into heating oil. Well, that would sounds like that would be pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, diesel oil. It sounds good, right? So you've yeah. got GMO Roundup Ready corn. You've got wheat that's sprayed right before harvest with glyphosate. Mm-hmm. And you're scooping those up and you're shipping them in barges down Hudson River, down to New York City, where there's all these different processing plants that turn it into um, diesel fuel. You know, so you've got uh, the processing plants are probably spewing out glyphosate. The barge might glyphosate might even be escaping from the barge. And glyphosate might be escaping from the from at, at the gas tank when the cars are loading up or the trucks are loading up with gas, or even from the exhaust fumes of the, of a poorly tuned vehicle. And a lot of the buses are old and cranky, and <laughs> I know bus fumes are often horrible. You oh, know, yeah. I almost Ugh. can't stand them. Mm-hmm. And so it it makes sense to me that there there's partial com- combustion going on. The glyphosate is escaping in the exhaust fumes from the vehicle. So if you're living in New York City, you know, or in Chelsea. <laughs> Mm-hmm. You pretty much can't avoid, I think, breathing glyphosate. Interesting. Now, Stephanie, before we go on, just in case there are some people who, uh, you know, don't know that much about glyphosate, can you give a, a a summary of, you know, why is it dangerous? Yes, definitely. And that's the, the thing that I have been shouting to the rooftops for years now, because um, Monsanto tells us it's not. I mean, in fact, our regulators tell us it's not. They say it's wonderful. It kills all plants except for those that have been engineered to resist it. But it's hardly harmful at all to humans. It's really, you can use it very carelessly. You don't have to worry about any kind of protection. You can buy it without regulation. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's great stuff. That's the message we're getting. And that's mm-hmm. the message that is so hard to undo in this context. You know, when I tell people that's not true, and mo- many people just say, well, I don't believe you, you know, and they stop there because they're not willing to entertain the possibility that that could not be correct. And what I found, and I've, du- I've dug deep and I've gone into the, I- I've been collaborating with Anthony Samso, who's really an interesting character, and he has done mm-hmm. uh, a lot of research. He has his own little um, company that's pretty much a one-man show, but he's very passionate about glyphosate, and he's been able to, um, he-, he he's a chemist, and he has a long history of um as a toxicologist, and he's, uh, you know, he really uh, is an expert in chemistry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it, it requires tricky processing to find glyphosate because it's getting incorporated into the proteins 
by mistake in place of the coding amino acid glycine. This is the message I've been trying to get across to people. I, I, it's not, I don't have proof, but I almost have proof because the evidence is so overwhelming from so many different angles. It's a kind of a connect the dots, solve the puzzle kind of game mm-hmm. to realize that this is happening. But when you see the kind of evidence I have seen in the research literature, in, the, in the, all the correlations between the rise in glyphosate usage on core crops and the rise in a long, long list of, of diseases, metabolic diseases, cancer, um, neurological diseases, um, you know, just uh, digestive problems, all of these things that are um, that are going up. And, mm-hmm. and the correlations are incredible. And Nancy Swanson really started to get me into that game. And she, she published a paper together with colleagues in 2014, I think, where they have over 30 uh, pictures, graphs of all these different diseases, autism, Alzheimer's, uh, pancreatic cancer, um, infection, uh, gut infection, you know, infections mm-hmm. in the gut. Mm-hmm inflammatory bowel disease. I mean, just a long, long list of diseases that are going up dramatically in our society. And of course, autism is the one I've really been concerned about. Mm-hmm. And it matches perfectly. I mean, the, the correlations are so stunning. You basically get almost 1.0, which means the two curves coincide. It's incredible. So you're saying that what happens kind of in a nutshell is that glyphosate replaces the amino acid glycine? Yes, exactly. In the protein, it reads the code. The machinery reads the code for, for gly- you know, the famous DNA code, which is a four-letter mm-hmm. code, and it codes for the amino acids. There's about 20 of them. They're super, super important. Every one of them is absolutely critical uh, for well, for our survival. And glycine is the smallest amino acid. It has no side chains. And glyphosate yeah. is a complete glycine molecule without side chains. So it matches perfectly into the slot. The only thing different, and it's a huge difference, is that it has some extra material attached to its nitrogen atom, and um, and that makes uh, that makes it behave very very differently from glycine. And so, what you can do that's really fun for me, and I still find new papers all the time, is go rummage the research literature, looking for mutations where the glycine some protein has been swapped out for something else. You then find cases where people have a um, genetic mutation that the child ends up. With severe, um, you know, developmental delay and all kinds of issues, and then dies at the age of two. I mean, there's some really horrible, horrible diseases that can come out of a single glycine mutation in a particular protein. Now, glyphosate doesn't get into all the instances of that protein. It's like a crapshoot. It's just basically shooting all the proteins throughout your body at different places, some of which are very reasonably harmless, but others of which are devastating. Mm-hmm. So, for example, myosin. Myosin is a, a protein that is a contractile protein. What does that mean? It, for muscles, it contracts mm. the muscles. Okay. So And so, for example, myosin in the gut is extremely important for what they call peristalsis, which is the movement mm-hmm. of your materials in your bowels to, mm-hmm. you know, we have an epidemic in, in constipation these right. days. Right, right. Because the bowel is being paralyzed by glyphosate. The, the, the glyphosate is getting into the myosin and preventing it from to contract. And, and I, there's a, a really cool paper that talked about a particular glycine residue in myosin if you change it into alanine, which is a very small change, that protein can only contract it at one or two percent of its original capacity. Oh my! Yeah. Oh my. So, so you know, that's just one example. There's a, a, I, I keep collecting more and more, and I couldn't possibly tell you all of them uh, in this interview, but it's pretty amazing because I can now exp- explain. I can take a disease and I can look at glycines that affect that disease, proteins that contain critical glycines that affect that disease, and I can figure out that if glyphosate were to substitute for glycine in those proteins, it would cause that disease. And then that disease correlates with glyphosate 
in terms of the distribution over time. Wow. So it's a giant puzzle and it works beautifully and I'm really super excited about it. But the COVID-19 thing is extremely interesting because I, I came to it from another angle with respect to the, I, you know, I saw the, the Lombardy situation. I knew that, and by the way, there've been a lot of talk, a lot of uh, articles on the web about air pollution they're seeing. And even studies already reported that are seeing air pollution is a risk factor for, uh, for a bad outcome with COVID-19. Mm-hmm. They know air pollution is a problem. Well, duh. I mean, if it's affecting the <laughs> lungs uh, and you're breathing in all this crap, uh, yeah. <laughs> right. It seems like common sense to me, but. <laughs> I know. I agree. I totally agree. And of course, the other interesting thing is that there's a whole bunch of diseases that are risk factors. I, you've probably been hearing this, obesity and diabetes mm-hmm. and high blood pressure. And of course, uh, COPD, chronic mm-hmm. obstructive pulmonary disease, all, all of those diseases are, are on that list of diseases that are correlated with glyphosate. So right. they're being caused by glyphosate. I think they're not really risk factors, but they're indicators that you've been exposed to glyphosate. Ah, okay. That's an interesting perspective. Now, let's talk a little bit about, okay, because I hear a lot of people saying that they ref- they're referring to this as the coronavirus, which it's the COVID-19 or the SARS-CoV-2, it's a type of coronavirus, yes? Because we've, yes. Mm-hmm. we've been exposed to coronaviruses. I mean, aren't flus and colds and... I'm not sure what else. Yeah, it pretty much causes colds. Mm -hmm. It's one of the common cold viruses. And of course, there's a million different kinds of it, too. That's just like all kinds of, um, you know, similar coronaviruses that are not identical to each other. Many, many different kinds. That's the problem, actually. One of the problems with developing a vaccine. They've been trying to develop a coronavirus vaccine for a long time, and they have struck out. And part of the problem is it it, it, uh, mutates very quickly. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it'll just mutate its way out of a jam and the vaccine won't work anymore. But even worse than that, they've been finding that the vaccine backfires because it it causes in some people such a strong immune reaction that it actually primes them to be even more affected by the infection than you would normally be. In other words, it makes the situation worse. And, and we're seeing that with these patients because they're seeing that the problem with this virus is mostly a problem with the human overreacting to it. The okay. lungs basically turn on the um, what they call the adaptive immune system. They turn it on too hard, too fast, too much, and it releases all these what are called cytokines, mm-hmm. which are these toxic um, molecules that are supposed intended to try to kill the virus. Okay, and and those but those end up destroying the, the local tissue as well, not just the virus but the cells themselves. It's basically collateral damage, uh. and, and that's also because there's not enough um, capacity for antioxidants. You know, people, you hear a lot about antioxidants like vitamin C, there's various um, vitamin E, you know, there's things mm-hmm. that they advertise you should take to as, for antioxidant protection. Glyphosate is really, really messing up our ability to uh, protect from oxidative damage. And, and part of that is just glutathione because glutathione is a very, very powerful antioxidant mm-hmm. um, molecule in the body. Many people know about glutathione, even if they're not experts, you know, a mm-hmm. lot of people, patients know about glutathione. Very, very important in the liver, for example, for protecting it from damage. And glutathione is made up of three amino acids, one of which is glycine. Aha. <laughs> uh-huh. So <laughs> that's kind of a hint. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, you were just talking about adaptive immunity, and I know there's innate and there's adaptive mm-hmm. immunity. Maybe you could explain a little bit to the listeners what the difference is. Yeah. 
Um, that's extremely interesting because that's another thing I talked about in this paper, uh, article. I think you mentioned the article. Um, I don't know if you did, actually, because I can't remember. No, we talked was. about it beforehand. I will put a link on the podcast website to this article that you wrote uh, on Jennifer. How's her last name pronounced? Margulis? Margulis. 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 Uh, on her on her blog, I, because it was a, an excellent article, and I, I will put a link to it for people. Great. Yeah. So the innate immune system is actually uh, what's important. And I think when people get really sick with this virus, it's because their innate immune system is too weak. And many, many people in, in our country have a problem with their innate immune system being too weak. And that's partly because of all the other chemicals that we're exposed to. But again, glyphosate stands out because, um, and this is part of the research that I'm doing, collagen. This is an interesting story, and I'll go into it, because the um, naming system releases something like a dozen different uh, molecules or proteins. And these proteins are especially designed to work like vacuum cleaners or like um, tar paper to go out into the blood and stick to things like viruses and bring them to the immune cells so they can clear them. Mm. So they have a very effective way of um, controlling viruses by hunting them down with these proteins that are released by the innate immune system. So it's there all the time. It's very general. It doesn't have specific antibodies that are going to recognize specific things like measles. But mm -hmm. it has very strong capabilities of removing things like viruses if it's working well. Okay. Now, Stephanie, does it also do that like with bacteria? Or, or is Absolutely. It just, okay. bacteria, not just bacteria and viruses, but other kinds of crud too, as well, you know, busted molecules, as well as if a cell dies, you know, and mm -hmm. releases all kinds of stuff, then it's going to pick those things up as well. It, okay. It's, um, yeah, it sticks to lots and lots of things and, and takes them to the immune cells so they can remove them. Got it. And, and those proteins are very interesting because they, they contain what's called a collagen-like stalk. Okay. And there's a couple of them. There's these uh, proteins in the lungs that are in the, that are called surfactant proteins. Mm -hmm. There's four different surfactant proteins in the lung, and two of them are have this collagen-like stalk. And collagen is the most collagen itself is the most common protein in the body. Something like 25% of our proteins are collagen molecules, mm -hmm. and collagen mm -hmm. contains a huge amount of glycine, probably more than any other type of protein that I know of. Collagen has long sequences of a pattern of GXY, 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 where every third amino acid is a glycine. And it forms a beautiful triple helix structure that gives collagen its special properties. It's tensile strength, it's flexibility, it's ability to hold water. You know, collagen is, is, is the glue in our body. And, wow. and we have a lot of problems with all kinds of bone and joint problems today. That's another thing that's going up dramatically in our society, mm -hmm. you know, with back pain and, and knee surgery and hip replacement surgery. I mean, all these things we're hearing about that are much more common today than they were 10, even 10 years ago. So tell me, it does, is it beneficial to take collagen? Well, no, not if it's not, not if it's not organic, because if you're taking collagen, you're probably taking glyphosate. But if it's organic... Organic collagen, absolutely. In fact, I my husband's a great cook, and he makes a big pot of soup on a regular basis, a bone broth, you know, from organic chicken and from mm -hmm. organic beef bones. Um, it's super, super healthy for you. You know, mm -hmm. you can cook that up, and you get a lot of glycine in, in particular, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. I think is very good. So even organic glycine, if you can find it as a supplement, I would probably recommend it. I don't like to take supplements in general because yeah. I'd rather get my nutrition from foods. And mm -hmm. I eat an extremely healthy diet in, in part because I have such a wonderful husband who cooks so well. But <laughs> Lucky you. <laughs> I know. I'm totally spoiled. <laughs> 
<laughs> anyway, back to the story, because it gets really interesting with these two proteins. So there's four proteins, I said, that, and two of them that have the stalk. And there's a whole story around those two proteins. It's based on vaping, you know, the whole um, ah. game of cigarettes, smoking yep. uh, e-cigarettes. Mm -hmm. um, I knew about the vaping problem before COVID-19. I'd been reading right. about it because I'd been suspecting glyphosate to be causal in that uh, there's a, a lung, a new strange lung condition that was showing up among these kids, you know, young people right. who were mm -hmm. vaping, mm -hmm. um, were getting their lungs clobbered by the vaping fumes. And it's not something they understand, but they see that what it causes is a, a, a strong inflammation in the lungs um, that basically causes, um, you know, damages the lungs in a way that looks really very, very much like COVID-19 infection. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it has the same symptoms. It even has the, the slight fever and the dry cough mm -hmm. and, the, and the lack of a runny nose, which is a characteristic feature of COVID-19 that's odd because most cold viruses produce a runny nose. Right, right. Yeah, so it looks really, I mean, I think you could get confused. Uh, uh, probably if you had a, a vaping damaged lungs, you could get a, a disease that they would call COVID-19 unless they tested you. They would think you had COVID-19. Interesting. And from some of the reading that I had done about it, it, it seems that they were coming up with, whoever they are, that the damage was caused by chemicals in the vaping solution? Yes, absolutely. Um, but mm -hmm. they didn't know what chemicals. And of course, they didn't look for glyphosate because they never think of glyphosate. They I never know. do. And what is, why? It's like nobody, you're, like the, you're the only one, you and, and a couple of other people seem to be the only ones who are really onto this. And I know it's very, very frustrating for me because I do not understand why people can't see it. It's so obvious. And, and I, you know, I looked at a lot of chemicals. I was looking hard for autism. I looked for five years and I knew I had struck out, you know, before I even discovered glyphosate, mm -hmm. I knew I, I wasn't on the case. I knew I hadn't found the answer. And when I, when I heard about glyphosate, I heard a two hour presentation by Don Huber seven years ago, I was completely blown away. And I stopped, you know, pretty much stopped everything else and just started learning everything I could about glyphosate. It is a really, really unusual chemical. It is the only chemical that has this feature of substituting for glycine during protein synthesis. That is a devastating feature. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's a slow kill, you know, it, it accumulates in your body and it just gradually causes damage uh, throughout your body over time. And, and it's very, very hard to get rid of once it gets into some of these proteins because the proteins become difficult to break down. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, in the history of how glyphosate, it's incredible of how it evolved from, what was it, cleaning out uh, the the uh, mineral pipes. deposits in in water pipes yeah. to, pipe yes, absolutely. I mean, and, and how it evolved. I mean, I think a lot of chemicals, they, they end up, you know, trying to find other uses for them so they can make money on them. And right. Is, I think they just accidentally discovered that it killed plants and then they thought, Oh, maybe we can use this as an herbicide, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it kills all plants, which should be a hint that it's not exactly non-toxic. <laughs> you know? I know. Uh, People probably know it as Roundup, actually. I don't think we, I don't know if we've mentioned the word Roundup, right, but that's should. what it is. It's mm -hmm. the chemical active ingredient in Roundup. And Roundup, of course, is, is the, by far the most used herbicide on the planet. And the United States uses more per person than any other country in the world. Oh, God. Now, are there any other weed killers that use glyphosate or is it just Roundup? No, there's a whole bunch of different brands and they all use glyphosate. Ah, there's okay. a whole bunch of them. I, I can't even, Rodeo is another one. I can't name them all. I, okay. I can't even name a few of them, but I know there okay. are many, many. But I think, I think Roundup was the, the start. 
the the original. Ra- I think Roundup might have been the first one that they uh, put out. It's the one that's we're it's familiar to us when we shop for our own. If we're trying to kill dandelions in our yard, in our yard, that's what you're going to find. You're going to find Roundup right. for the most part. I think. Right. But anyway, this these two proteins. So the uh, so there was a study. So they they were trying to figure out these vaping. You know. Mm-hmm. what was going on with these vaping fumes. And they did a really interesting study where they had these mice and they exposed them to vaping fumes for three months. They exposed them to vaping fumes, had them breathe them. And then they somehow knew to try to expose them to flu virus to see what would happen. So they were predicting, I think, that it would cause an overreactive response to the flu. And that's exactly what it did cause. And that's what we're seeing with COVID-19, an overzealous adaptive immune system Right. responding to the virus. And that's because the innate immune system can't clear the virus. And that's because those proteins with those stalks are broken by glyphosate. That's what I think. Ah, okay. Because okay. of all that glycine in, the, mm-hmm. in those stalks. Mm-hmm. So perhaps then for people who aren't having uh, a huge reaction to it, maybe they're just getting a little cold or uh, slight symptoms, their innate immune system is working properly. Yes. If you have a strong immune system, you don't need to worry about COVID-19. That's what I believe. I do too. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and you will have a strong immune system if you eat well. You know, So the big deal is to eat organic food, whole foods, foods with lots of sulfur. I mean, that's another thing that I talk about a lot is the sulfur deficiency problem and mm-hmm. also the sulfate deficiency problem, which I think is due to glyphosate being a cat- catastrophe for sulfate in so many different ways. It's a, amazing how much it messes up sulfate management mm-hmm. in the body and so we get sulfate deficiency and that sulfate is essential in the in what's called the uh, extracellular matrix or the glycocalyx so even lining all the blood vessels you need sulfate to keep them healthy and each cell has a lot of sulfate scattered around it, uh, exterior mm-hmm. which causes it to manage the water around the cell to make it gelled it's really really important um, to have this gelled water which uh, has all kinds of interesting properties and there's books been written about it, but it's, um, you know, there's, uh, Jerry Pollack has written a lot of cool books for the public. One is called the fourth phase of water, the fourth phase, mm-hmm. the three phases are gas, liquid, and gas, and the gas, liquid, and solid. And the fourth phase phase is gel. Right. Yep. In fact, I just, it's funny you should mention that because I think last week I just watched something about that. I was thinking yeah. about so that. So that's really important for the mucous membranes, and that's what's in the lungs, you know, all those mucous membranes. Um, they really protect the lungs from the invasion of all kinds of things coming in when you breathe. Mm-hmm. And in those mucous membranes, that's where these, these two proteins are that are supposed to be able to stick to the viruses and then allow the macrophages to clear them out. So that whole system is not working because of glyphosate. And the adaptive immune system has to kick in because the innate immune system is failing on its job. And and that's when you get this overzealous immune response that creates all this inflammation, which then with this cytokine, all these cytokines, you end up with this, what's called a cytokine storm mm-hmm. and the virus gets into the blood. And then you have the same problem in the blood that you had in the lungs. And only now it's throughout your body. And then the, the blood gets stripped of its um, walls because the, 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 without the sulfate, there's very weak support um, of the, uh, in the barrier of the, of the, uh, of the vessels. And so you can get hemorrhaging if you don't do something about it. So the body kicks in this uh, thrombosis response that produces all these blood clots to try to stop the hemorrhaging. And then the blood clots get loose and go to the lungs and cause pulmonary thrombosis, or they 
go to the brain. I mean, it's just the blood clots can just totally take you down. It, wow. it can cause multiple organ failure because the blood stops circulating. I mean, it's just an absolute mess for those patients who end up dying. It wow. happens very quickly and nobody can stop it. So Stephanie, what's really happening here though, is the body is trying to protect you. Yes, absolutely. It's trying its best, but it can't, it can't do it well because all those proteins are being messed up by glyphosate. They're not working properly. Very, very interesting is this. I just learned this one a few days ago. Hemoxygenase, that's a protein that gets kicked in. It's, it gets upregulated in response to inflammation. Okay. And the reason why it gets upregulated is because it can tame the, it can tame the inflammation if it works properly. Okay. It actually breaks down heme. Heme is the, uh, the you know, the, the molecule in hemoglobin, very interesting molecule. Mm -hmm. And it turns into Billy Verd and Billy Rubin. You've probably heard about mm -hmm. um, people who have problems, actually, with the breakdown of heme uh, into other things <laughs> because hemoxygenase is not working. Hemoxygenase normally would turn heme into bilirubin, uh, but it has a glycine residue that it depends strongly on for that to work properly. <laughs> there we go again. <laughs> so if it gets mutated, and they've shown in studies with people who have mutations, it causes it to do the opposite of what it's supposed to do. So instead of being anti-inflammatory, it's pro-inflammatory, releases really toxic iron. And you see this upregulation of ferritin, huge amounts of ferritin in some of these patients. Ferritin is there to try to uh, protect you from iron damage because it can actually store the iron. Right. And um, so, but, but, the, if, but the iron that gets released when hemoxygenase doesn't have that glycine working properly is, is called feral iron. It, it's Fe plus four instead of Fe plus two. And the ferritin can't take it up. And it's extremely toxic. It works with the other inflammatory agents to just be on, put your vasculature on fire. So it's a real mess. And the hemoxygenase also induces, the. there's a feedback loop because the inflammation induces hemoxygenase. If it goes the wrong way, it induces inflammation. You get a, a positive feedback loop that just spins out of control. Wow. It's, it's just, it's, it's amazing. I'm just, I'm fascinated by how you're able to link glyphosate to such a wide variety of issues. I know it's, it, it's almost too much to believe for sure. It really? For yeah. Me, but everywhere I look, I see something else. I say, oh my God, not this too. You know, it's just amazing. So why, why the lungs? What's, why are, it's, why are the lungs getting hit so badly? I think it's because of the air pollution, and I think it's because we have really been ramping up technology to put glyphosate essentially into fuels, including home heating oil, as well as, um, as I said, the diesel, the biodiesel fuel, the airplanes, there's aviation fuel, mm. aviation biofuel. It, we have been increasing that the uh, production of these um, fuels that are derived from plants in a big, big way over the past few years. It's a new thing that we've been putting into our cities, like the city buses. New York City buses drive on biodiesel. New Orleans is another hotspot where they have, uh, they proudly um, say that they are using biodiesel fuel in there, uh, in, the, in the trucks and buses and whatnot. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is supposed to be a great thing. <laughs> it's all great. Yeah, it's supposed to be such a good spin. I mean, it's really sad. I don't know. If, if you've seen the movie Planet of the Humans, and I only watched that a few days ago as well, mm -hmm. I'm really getting an education in a hurry here with all this whole new space of glyphosate that I was not aware of before. And Planet of the Humans is, um, uh, <clears throat> Michael Bohr is the executive director of Planet of the Humans, and it's, um, it's all about the biofuel industry 
and how we've been misled into thinking that it's a good thing. So I, I was really um, surprised that that movie was there and they made a good case for why it's not good. And of course, they didn't mention glyphosate because nobody ever does. Mm-hmm. You know, it would have been a great part of their story, but they didn't know. I mean, nobody knows about glyphosate. It's so amazing to me that people don't see it. I know. I still, I, I still talk to people who are saying, oh, I'm just learning about glyphosate. And I'm like, are you kidding? It's mm-hmm. been so many years that I've been saying to people, it's not the GMOs. It's the glyphosate that you mm-hmm. need to be concerned with. You are so right. And it's it's great that you could see it so soon. And I just wish others could too, you know? I, I yeah, I just, so, oh, so Planet of the Humans, where um, where could people see that? Oh, yeah, if you just Google it, it's uh, on the web. We, I think okay. we, I can't remember if it was, if it's something you have to go to, you know, Netscape or Amazon or something, but it's definitely available. Okay. Um, that might check. be free, actually, free on the web, I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. I'll check and that well out. well worth it. Very interesting movie. Um, Sounds and, uh, depressing, but <laughs> I know. we're doing so many things wrong. And, and, and we, I don't know how we could have been so blind for so long. It just puzzles me. You know, we're really on, the, we're derailed and we have to, I really, really hope that this COVID-19 has a silver lining because I just can't believe they're going to let this whole thing unfold and happen. And all these different hotspots that are screaming at them that, about what's going on with the air pollution, you know, mm-hmm. and yet not see it. I mean, it's possible. We're going to go through that. Everybody's going to be blind. And we'll keep on producing these biodiesel fuels and we'll just keep getting sicker. You know, at what point do we notice these things? This is what frustrates me is that we don't notice these things. Mm-hmm. People yeah. need to open their eyes. I mean, when you talk about it, to me, it seems so obvious, you know, <laughs> I, know. I mean, uh, um, like, how can you not consider this as a possibility? Right, exactly. It, to me, it's just. I mean, it's so obvious to me that I just can't believe anybody doesn't believe it. And yet almost nobody (laughs) believes it. So it's kind of frustrating because the glycine analog thing is the key thing, I think. Mm -hmm. And um, and uh, I'm actually working on a a whole book on that topic where I've I've covered everything in great detail. And I think the evidence is overwhelming, including from Monsanto's own studies. I mean, they did a study back in the 1980s um, that was never published. It was a private study. But Anthony Sampson got a hold of it, and, and it was amazing what they found because they were looking to see if glyphosate was, was getting incorporated into your tissues because they claim that it goes right straight through, nothing happens to it, it goes out, right. you know, you're good, mm-hmm. disappears in, in a couple of weeks if you, if you eat it, which, of course, we're eating lots of glyphosate in our food, by the way. I'm mm-hmm. sure you know that. Yep. Um, but, but what they found, so they, they, they gave these um, bluegill sunfish, they're working with these fish, and they gave them radio-labeled glyphosate so they could trace it. They didn't have to detect it through the normal methods. They could just see the radio label. Mm -hmm. And then they took samples of their tissue, and sure enough, there was the radio label in the tissue. So they knew it was accumulating in the tissues, even though Monsanto claims it does not. Their own researchers in the 1980s showed that it did. And furthermore, when they tried to just measure how much glyphosate was was there in this sample – they came up short. They only found 20% of the label, of the radio label, to be accountable as glyphosate. Mm-hmm. So then they're saying, well, what is the other 80%, right? Mm-hmm. And they got the brilliant idea of adding enzymes that break down proteins into individual amino acids. They added those enzymes, and then they were able to increase the yield to 70%. They could detect 70% of it as glyphosate once they broke apart the proteins into individual amino acids and they said perhaps it was incorporated into the protein that's their words wow that's what i'm saying it's incorporated into the protein in place of glycine 
Wow. Gee, I wonder why that study wasn't published. <clears throat> I know. <laughs> and of course, they don't want anybody to see it. Anthony had to work hard to get uh, to be allowed to have it through the Freedom of Information Act. And it was fun because they he was pestering the EPA to get Monsanto's early studies. And um, and the EPA gave Monsanto a warning that if they didn't say anything in three within three months, they were going to let Anthony have all this stuff. And they didn't say anything in three months. They were they, apparently they just didn't respond. Mm-hmm. So the EPA gave all this material to Anthony. He's got a huge amount of material from the early work by the Monsanto researchers, and they made him sign something that said he could not show these documents to anybody, which is really weird. You know, I I think NDAs should be like not allowed. Yeah, I, I really amazing something that important. We're all being poisoned by this molecule. And these guys did these studies and we're not allowed to see them. I mean, I think that is really, really shocking. It really is. And, you know, I mean, I've read uh, a lot of studies that weren't published on vaccine damage, um, oh, just no. all kinds of things. Get me started. <laughs> I know. And and so, you know, people will in their you know defense of their argument they will cite studies that, you know, that this is safe and that's safe. And, but there are all of these other studies that aren't published because the manufacturers don't, don't want people to know about them, but they, they directly uh, dis, disprove or uh, that might not be the right word to say, but, you, you know, counter, counter dick the studies that say they're safe. There's actually a lot of published studies that have shown tremendous damage. You know, there's one out of Africa that was amazing in a particular country in Africa where they looked at the DPT shot and they found that and had a nice uh, sort of natural experiment because some of the kids were getting the shot early. It was in the three month to six month um, age time Mm -hmm. range. Mm -hmm. Some were getting it early, some were getting it late. So they could look at the ones who hadn't had it yet and to look at the mortality rate as against the ones who got it early. And they found a tenfold increase in mortality, all-cause mortality, in the ones who got the vaccine versus the ones who did not. Wow. This is a published study. Yeah, I mean, there's just a ton of of papers that have been even published papers, often in obscure, you know, journals because Mm -hmm. the mainstream won't go near them. Um, But they're very strong, you know, and Chris Exley has done a great job with aluminum, and he's finally convinced that the vaccines are a serious problem with regard to the aluminum um, getting into the brain. Because he found uh, aluminum at high concentrations in the brains of autistic kids. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's become outspoken. And, of course, now they're trying to discredit him because as soon as you start to take a stand on these things, you know, you have to be careful because you can pretty much ruin your career pretty quickly with these people attacking you. But Well, I think that's yeah. the problem. It's, you know, I thought whistleblowers were supposed to be protected, but I guess that's a bunch of crap. Oh, they will really work hard to discredit anybody who stands up to them and who speaks the truth. I mean, that's just the way the world is right now. It all needs to be fixed. We need to have a sweeping overhaul of the entire system, I think. And Mm -hmm. hopefully it will happen. I mean, we may have a total economic collapse, but out of the ashes may come a much, much better society. I'm hoping, I'm, I'm hopeful right now that we're going to turn this around. We're going to realize the vaccines are not working the, the toxic chemicals in the food are not working. You know, we have to do a complete overhaul of how we view health and disease and to emphasize staying healthy by eating right, getting out in the sunlight, you know, get your vitamin D, make mm-hmm. your immune system strong, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. you won't be afraid of COVID-19. Yeah, get good sleep. Good sleep is important. Absolutely. That's when your body heals and repairs. Drinking good, clean water, you know. Absolutely. Right, clean air, clean water. Yeah, a lot of it's common sense. 
But, I know. And if we just would stop putting chemicals on the food, we would get uh, pretty far, I mm-hmm. think, pretty far. Because mm-hmm. then, And, of course, also stop making these stupid pseudo foods like the soy protein bars. Right, you know, right. Because we're not getting enough of those. One of the things people are seeing is flavonoids and terpenoids, which are these really interesting complex molecules that are made by plants. There's all kinds of different ones. And there's all kinds of literature, you know, in the naturopath community that shows how these things are so powerful for healing. You know, things like curcumin and Mm -hmm. um, resveratrol and wine. And Mm -hmm. um, there's just a whole bunch of these. And ginger and, um, you know, rosemary. I mean, all these different spices, herbs, spices. You need to eat a lot of herbs and spices in your food. And these things are delicious, you know, curry powder. I mean, these things are so, so healthy. Mm-hmm. And uh, and even just the vegetables, when you just eat uh, a plain green vegetable, it's got all kinds of complicated molecules in there that are really, really important to maintain a healthy immune system. And um, they're finding this out. And, and, and so people are recommending to take these even as supplements. I'm personally, actually, I've changed my, my own program because of COVID-19 because even I am concerned about this this virus. And I've been taking essence of rosemary and essence of licorice because they have specific molecules in them that can uh, can help to prevent this virus from replicating. Mm-hmm. So it's really, really interesting. But just eating whole foods, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, mm-hmm. and this whole plant-based diet thing. I don't believe in vegan because there's some really critical nutrients that are missing if you right. don't eat you know, animal-based foods. But those vegetables are very, very healthy. And they're doing a lot of these veggie drinks, you know. Mm-hmm. which I think are, are um, a good way to get a lot of good nutrition. From yeah, those as plants. long as there aren't a lot of pesticides on it. Exactly. It has to be organic or else you're wasting, your, you're probably setting yourself back if, you, if you're eating those things non-organically. Well, I think the, um, uh, oh, I forget who does it, but it's the, the clean, the dirty dozen and the clean 15. Right. Um, and I print that up every year because it changes and put it in so my be wallet. Be careful with that. Be careful with that because corn is one of the clean 15 and corn I is know. definitely not. I I wondered about that. Well, they don't look at glyphosate. They're not <gasps> even thinking about glyphosate. It's perfectly safe. I mean, that's the thing. Glyphosate is safe. That's the mentality that we have. And so people aren't aware. And so people aren't aware of which foods have glyphosate either. They think if I'm buying non-GMO, I'm safe. But right. I know. Oreo right. cookies and, and, um, and um, Cheerios. I mean, Cheerios are loaded with glyphosate. Oh, they're one of the worst. With the kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then hummus, you know, so chickpeas and garbanzo beans, they're not GMO, but they're loaded with glyphosate because of spraying right before harvest. Right, right. And that, that speeds up harvest, it dries. And my understanding is that kind of pretty much the farther north you get, the worse it is because the growing season's shorter, it can be wetter, and so they they use glyphosate to increase the harvest. Absolutely. I think that's true. And the sort of the winter wheat in Canada, I mm-hmm. suspect it's heavily sprayed because, and, you know, and the farmer is under stressful conditions because if he, if his harvest is not ready and the snowstorm is coming, he's in a bad bind, you know, so mm-hmm. if he can put a little glyphosate on there and rescue the crop, that is hard to resist that. Right, right. Yeah, I had a discussion with the this guy that I get my feed from. He's in Alberta and Um, He's not certified organic, but he says it's organic. And he said last year he had 400 and some chemicals tested on his Mm -hmm. farm and everything came up zero. And he jokingly said, my ancestors were too cheap to use pesticides. (laughs) (laughs) That's really, that's a great story. I like that. And I said, well, I'm grateful because it's like half the price of what you get at the farm supply for organic feed. And I'm 
buying directly from the farmer, which I, I like to do. I like that too. I think that's fantastic. And we do that too. We, and when we're in Kauai, we, we spend a lot of time in Kauai. Oh, I Lucky love Kauai. Us. Mm, yes. <laughs> kinds of um, organic farmers, you know, and, and they are, often aren't certified because it, it costs a lot and they're yeah. running on a shoe budget. And, and we trust them when they say, no, no, I don't use any chemicals. We trust them. So that's why I like farm markets. And I um, know they're great, you know, because they? you can talk to people and a lot of them, you know, it's not certified, but they'll tell you exactly what they do and and yeah. and how they grow their their product. And, and that's all I need. It doesn't have to be certified. Right. I know. I think that's great. I, I love that farm to take, you know, directly from the farm to the consumer. Mm-hmm. I think that there's a real opportunity there and they can kind of bypass all the middlemen and that can offer a lower price that way. And with the Internet, I think that becomes very feasible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hoping that's what will happen. We'll have a lot of organic farmers. <laughs> all these people who are out of work, we're going to have a huge you know, workforce ready to go with pulling weeds. right? Yeah. That's another story that's interesting with all those COVID-19 outbreaks among all these meat-producing plants. I've been looking into that. I've been finding some very interesting things just the last, <laughs> actually very recently, uh-huh. um, that they're, they are hooking up with um, the gas uh, companies to, to set up a facility for, because they get a lot of waste. You can imagine a meat processing plant. They've right. got, you know, all kinds of stuff and just the fats and the um, the blood and the, uh, probably the and... feces. I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff. And um, they end up with toxic water, of course, or at least water that's contaminated with all kinds of meat products. And um, that be- can become a problem uh, in terms of pollution, water pollution, right? Mm-hmm. And so they've been hooking up with these gas companies to run a processing plant that converts that waste material into biofuels, in particular, a sort of natural gas, like a biogas okay. um, fuel. And then they use that fuel uh, on the plant, uh, on the property, f- to fuel the plant. So I'm wondering whether <laughs> glyphosate contamination in those animal products, because the animals are eating tons of glyphosate in their feed, right. is getting to the gas that's fueling the plant. Now, that's all very speculative. I haven't proven anything about whether glyphosate's actually there, whether it survives all that processing. But I'm suspecting that. I mean, as I see, you know, again, I'm connecting dots. Mm-hmm. Research mm-hmm. needs to be done to confirm whether I'm making any sense with this, because I could be wrong, but I it just looks so compelling to me mm-hmm. that I really think what's going on. And particularly with the vaping story, I didn't finish the vaping story oh, because okay. glycerol, <laughs> glycerol is a major component of those uh, e-cigarettes. And, and glycerol actually is a byproduct of the biodiesel processing p- facility. So they end oh. up with tons of gly- glycerol left over once they make the fuel. And I, rem- and I found articles. In fact, I think the article from 2003 that talked about Chelsea also talked about a problem with the technology was what to do with all that extra glycerol that comes out because mm-hmm. that's going to be a total glut of the market of glycerol. So they I think they figured out, ah, we'll just make these e-cigarettes. We get all this glycerol, make e-cigarettes, put the glycerol in the e-cigarettes. So now you're smoking the byproduct of the biodiesel production plant where there's all this glyphosate in the source. <laughs> that's disgusting. <laughs> Yeah, so you get the same disease as COVID-19 because you have the same problem, which is exposure to glyphosate. Mm-hmm. Wow, that, this is so fascinating. One of the things I wanted you to touch base on uh, that I was reading in your paper was the role of fatty liver disease. Yes, right. And that was another feature of the vaping experiment. I didn't finish that story in that respect either. People should read that paper because it's really fascinating. It's, it's There's a link on the article that I wrote um, for, for Jennifer. But the... Um, 
the, they saw these two proteins being messed up, these two proteins that have these glycine stalks, uh, these collagen stalks. And then they also saw that the macrophages that had invaded the liver to fight the, the virus, mm -hmm. this is a flu virus, were uh, loading up on, on fats. They were just becoming fat stores. So there was all kinds of fatty lung disease, if you will, uh, mm -hmm. happening in response to this infection with the flu virus. And glyphosate has been very strongly linked to fatty liver disease, both in animal studies and in human studies. And again, we have it as one of those diseases that's going up dramatically in our society. Right. And, um, and they did an experiment on rats where they gave them very low doses of glyphosate below regulatory limits over a period of time. And then they looked at their liver and sure enough, it, it, they were, they, they were, developing fatty liver disease from this very low dose of glyphosate. There's also another study that measured glyphosate in the urine of people who suffered from fatty liver disease against people who didn't. And also they looked at the difference between early stage and late stage, the ones who had a lot of fibrosis. And all three different groups were distinguished by the amount of glyphosate in their urine with the fibrosis folks having the highest levels. Wow. Now, Stephanie, if people, if, if people, stop eating foods, breathing, you know, if they get glyphosate out of their system is like with the fatty liver disease, is that reversible? I don't know. That's mm. the thing. I don't know. I mean, I'm hoping so. I'm really hoping so. And I think that the other important thing is to get your sulfur up because that's what's going to strengthen your immune system so you can clear some of this stuff. Because I think we're getting accumulating uh, proteins that are contaminated with glyphosate that our cells are not able to clear. Mm -hmm. And that becomes a very big problem. So once they get their sulfur and especially their sulfate supplies renewed, then that's going to allow them to be able to break down toxic materials that they've been accumulating. So I believe my, my belief is it's very, very important to emphasize sulfur, eating sulfur containing foods, even perhaps taking sulfur supplements like MSM, methylsulfonylmethane, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. uh, Epsom salt baths. That's another thing that I do usually once or twice a week, but right now I'm doing it every day, Epsom salt baths every day. Because of um, COVID-19, I'm taking extra precaution. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Epsom salts is an easy, easy way to get sulfate into your system because that's magnesium sulfate and it absorbs through the skin. Right. And there's nothing like a, a nice relaxing bath. Sometimes I'll use it when I, my muscles um, yeah, get yeah. achy. Take, and take yeah. Muscles, yeah. After and, a long hike. Mm -hmm. And the supplement that I take for my joints has MSM in it. Okay. There you go. My husband takes it as well as a supplement. Um, it works. What foods? are high in sulfur? Oh, all the cruciferous vegetables are great. We eat okay. them all the time. Cabbage and, and broccoli and Brussels sprouts and, and cauliflower. Mm -hmm. um, and also uh, uh, garlic is fantastic. And, and we just go through garlic like you wouldn't believe in my house. I do too. It's <laughs> <laughs> crazy. We make a salad. My husband makes a salad every night with lots of garlic. And then he uses uh, Bragg's organic apple cider vinegar. So that's a really good one too, because I think it might have... Um, there's acetobacter in it, and some species of acetobacter can break down glyphosate. So I'm hoping that it might actually help to clear glyphosate enzymatically. So I really, uh, I really like apple cider vinegar. I think sauerkraut would be the same thing, mm -hmm. um, and possibly even the other fermented foods. You know, kombucha, for example, mm -hmm. or and kimchi, and um, you know, all those things, all those fermented foods, and okay. um, even the yogurts. I think the fermented yogurts and uh, things of that sort. Okay. Sour sour cream is something I love, and I think mm -hmm. that may be, also be beneficial. So eating fermented foods is good. Eating uh, sulfur-containing animal foods are also great. Uh, all the um, seafood is terrific because seafood is so rich in micronutrients. You know the the vitamins and the minerals. Mm -hmm. 
So um, clams and crabs and, and lobster, if you can afford it. And mm, <laughs> those mm-hmm. are really good. Um, and, and, you know, um, grass-fed beef, mm-hmm. organic chicken, all, all the meats. Uh, eggs are fantastic because I think they're a real good bargain. Organic eggs, highest quality you can find. It's worth every penny because the yolk of those eggs is extremely nutritious. Mm-hmm. So what are... Oh, darn. I, I'm having my senior moment. It seems like every recording now I have a senior moment where I've got a, a, something I want to say and it just goes through. So fermented foods, apple cider vinegar. I know I've been making all of my, uh, when I make mayonnaise and uh, when I make my salad dressing, since we had our last talk, I, instead of using lemon juice, I use apple cider vinegar now. Nice, nice. Yeah. Lemon juice is also good. And I really like limes. It's certainly vitamin C is really important. That's mm-hmm. another one I didn't mention, but you need to get, and you get vitamin C, by the way, from cruciferous vegetables. So that's really great because you're getting both the sulfur and the vitamin C. And I read recently that red meat actually has vitamin C in it. That's amazing. I didn't know. That's amazing. Yeah. I didn't know that either. I always think of it as fruits, actually. I was surprised that cruciferous vegetables had it, but I was delighted to see that. Because mm-hmm. that's a, and vitamin C is one that they're doing for treatment, too. They're doing high-dose vitamin C with some success uh, to treat COVID-19, which makes sense to me because it's an antioxidant. And, and that's what you need to tame the inflammation. Right, right. And even doing IV vitamin C. Exactly, yes. That's how you really get it in. Yeah, I've upped I've upped my vitamin C a little bit just just mm-hmm. to be on the safe side. Okay, one thing I wanted to talk about before we end because this is fascinating is you had mentioned Bhutan. Yes, and I thought that was quite interesting because at least that kind of is a an upbeat. <laughs> I know. It's amazing that they have so little issue with COVID-19 and they, they, they really have incredibly clean air in Bhutan. They're very proud of it. They're, they're very organic and they're very um, conscientious of the issues of toxic chemicals. And they're trying to, they boast to want to be the organic, you know, capital of the world. Another one is Taiwan. I find very interesting. Taiwan is a place I really enjoy. I've been there many times. My husband's Chinese. We go there. Mm-hmm. Um, they have wonderful food. Their food mm-hmm. is so good and very, very nutritious. And they have very, very low use of glyphosate. They, they don't allow GMOs. You know, their people are all skinny. You don't see any, you almost never see somebody who's obese, you know? Right. It's amazing. You just look around in the streets and nobody's fat. It's such a huge hint. If you see a place where nobody's fat, you can pretty much be confident there's not much glyphosate. And they are just not having any trouble with COVID-19 in Taiwan. That's a huge country with a large population right next door to China. I think it's very, very striking that they're not getting sick from COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And you had said that Bhutan is 100% organic and they're not having much issue either. Right. Bhutan has almost nobody. I mean, when I did the study, there were four people, two of whom were tourists. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a few more now, but, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. but they're very, very low. Um, and that's the thing. You, I think that we wouldn't have even noticed COVID-19 if not for glyphosate. That's what I believe. I think nobody would even have noticed that it was any different from a normal cold virus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is the same with Iceland, too. You know, Iceland has a really, really good source of sulfur with their volcanic rock they get sulfur uh, high sulfur water for free in iceland okay and their foods are going to be rich in sulfur too because the soil has so much sulfur i think that's critical and they also don't allow gmos and they have i i haven't looked thoroughly but i don't think they use a lot of glyphosate and they're not having any problems with covid19 interesting yeah it's very interesting people have to see these patterns and wake up you know yeah i don't know why it's so hard for people to really get this. 
I know. I don't either. <laughs> I I mean, maybe people don't really want to. Maybe it's too much, too hard to change. It really does hit you, hit you hard because it's not just that, oh, I've been eating something poisonous all this time, but it's also, oh my God, my government didn't protect me. They assured me this was fine when it wasn't. And that starts to make you question the government, which is a much bigger issue than just saying, I've been eating poison. You know what I mean? It mm-hmm. really changes your whole viewpoint of your government and whether you can be trusted, be trust them to mm-hmm. take care of you, but you can't. I mean, we have to know that we have to go grassroots bottom up. People have to go buy organic at the grocery store, demand organic from the farmers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really do feel that our bodies are meant to be able to handle a lot of talk. To- I mean, mm-hmm. to our immune systems are meant to handle toxins, but I think that it's just, it's so overwhelming now from Mm-hmm. just practically every, you know, whether it's the air, the water, the food, that it's, I, I think our our bodies are having a hard time managing so much. Particularly this one, because our bodies don't understand the concept of a toxin that goes into your proteins in place of glycine. They don't know how to cope with that. Mm-hmm. It's impossible to deal with that. You know, and I think mutations, mutations are up, you know, people are getting more and more mutations. And many of the proteins that have these very strong glycine sensitivities are also having very high mutation rates right now. And I think that's a, a whole evolutionary drive to try to fix the protein that's being affected by the glyphosate. But it's just there's so many proteins that have so many critical glycines. It's a horrendous task. And we're not going to get to the solution anytime soon. Well, this has been kind of depressing, but we need to know. We need to understand and not be fearful. As I talked to one guest and he said, don't focus on the problem. Focus on the solution. Absolutely. I agree with that. Mm-hmm. And, and certainly we have a solution individually, which is to buy organic. And fortunately, certified organic is still available where I live. We've still been able to keep our supplies up, certified organic food. So as long as that's available, I feel reasonably safe. I mean, I would be really panicked if I couldn't get certified organic food. Mm-hmm. And grow as much as you can. And even if mm-hmm. you live in uh, in an apartment, if you've got a, a a little deck, you can put some big pots and, you know, at least mm-hmm. grow some of your own tomatoes and cucumbers and peppers and... Victory know, gardens. <laughs> victory gardens. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this is a good time to think about doing that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Stephanie. Is there anything else that you... We covered a lot. It was a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. And I hope you have some listeners who will take heed and uh, change their ways. So we'll do this slowly, person, one, one person at a time. But we're going to get there. Uh, I feel hopeful, especially I'm hoping that COVID-19 will be a big lesson that we will actually pay attention to. I hope I'm right, but we'll see. Well, I like your attitude. I mean, with all that you know and all the research you've done, you have hope. And that that gives me hope. So. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> oh, great. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate your coming on and sharing your bottomless knowledge. You really, um, you know, I really honor you for the work that you do and for getting the word out there. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Mm-hmm. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you, Dr. Stephanie Seneff, for sharing the very thought-provoking information that you have with us. The podcast website is realjanine.com. You can listen to and download episodes there. Uh, I have links to my guests' information. 
Sign up for the podcast bi-weekly blog newsletter to keep up on new episodes. And remember, Janine is J-A-N-E-A-N. And because I'm uploading my podcast conversations weekly, the blog newsletter is going to be kind of sporadic. To subscribe to Keeping It Real with Janine, go to your favorite podcast provider. You can also listen on the podcast YouTube channel. Some people prefer YouTube. You can find it by searching Real Janine. And remember to subscribe. Do you know someone who would find my conversation with Dr. Seneff interesting? Mm-hmm. I know you do. Please share the love. We'd all appreciate it. That's how we get the word out. Thank you so much, everyone. Take care and be well. Thank you.